On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. In 1872, a Clive Christian became the owner of a British perfumery. And he set about creating the most exclusive, expensive perfume in the world. It was to be made with the finest, rarest ingredients from around the world. And his vision culminated in the production of Clive Christian number one perfume. This perfume retails for £1,339 for 30 millimetres in Selfridges. Wonderful Mother's Day present. A whole pint of Clive Christian number one would cost £18,000. Just a few days prior to the Last Supper scene that we've just read about, we read that Jesus was in the home of Simon in Bethany, which is a village just outside of Jerusalem. And as he reclined at the table, a woman called Mary came to him with an alabaster jar of perfume. In John 12, we read, she took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. If you've ever sprayed on a tester of perfume or aftershave, especially a more expensive one uh, in in a shop, you'll know that that kind of lingers around for a few days. 
even though you've washed, you can still kind of smell that lingering, that odour, that, that, that aroma of that perfume or that aftershave. And as Jesus walked up the stairs to the upper room, there was a lingering aroma upon him. That pint of pure nard that had been poured over his head, into his hair, his beard, down his outer garments and seeping through to his inner garments, over his feet, over his whole body, he had been anointed for burial. And that aroma was still upon him as the disciples and Jesus walked up the stairs to the upper room. As they walked into the upper room and the oil lamps were burning and they smelt the familiar smells of the Passover meal, they smelt the lamb and the herbs and the wine and the the smell of the burning oil lamps. Very familiar smells to them at this Passover meal. And as they reclined at the table, and Jesus was there as the leader of this Passover meal at the head of the table, amongst all of those smells, amongst all of those aromas, there was this lingering aroma, this unusual aroma that they'd not smelt before at the Passover meal, of this pure nard, of this pint of perfume that had been poured over Jesus. It was a constant reminder to the disciples that this Passover meal was different. Jesus had been prepared for burial, and that aroma was a reminder of that. The final scenes of Jesus' life are unfolding before us. A false trial, desertion, betrayal, horrific torture at the hands of the Roman soldiers, and finally his crucifixion, the most barbaric death that the Roman Empire could create. The Passover meal is an annual Jewish festival celebrating the deliverance of the Israelites from the tyranny of the Egyptians, as we read in Exodus, when the angel of the Lord passed over the houses that were marked and spared the children. And the Passover is celebrated in the month of Nisan, the Hebrew month of Nisan. That's not a car, that's a Hebrew month of Nisan. And um, in fact, this year it's on April the 22nd. It's around March-April time that the Passover is celebrated every year. And Jesus celebrating God's wonderful deliverance, the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, and God's victory over the enemy of the Egyptians as he released the Israelites. And it was a festival that the disciples had celebrated with Jesus before. Three years before, they'd always gone and celebrated the Passover. This was nothing new to them, to go and prepare the Passover meal. But this one was different. There was no rejoicing of the day's miracles, the crowds that had been gathering around. There was no excitement of what tomorrow might bring. This Passover meal feels very different There's a nervous tension in the air. Jesus has already said, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. He's prepared them, but they they can't quite believe that this really is their last supper with Jesus, who they followed for three years. They're sad, as we read there. They're confused. They're stressed. It's often said that when, when we squeeze people under stressful situations, when we're squeezed under stressful situations, you see, you see what's within them, 
What comes out, you see what's within them when there's stress around. And there, there is stress here. We read in, in John's Gospel that actually the disciples began to argue about which of them was the greatest. There's an argument breaking out around the table about which one wouldn't betray Jesus. There's a stress in the air. There's tension. And then to add to all of that stress, Judas Iscariot is exposed as the one who would betray Jesus. He's already done the deal. He's already met with the chief priests. He's already agreed his 30 pieces of silver payment. They're expecting him. The deal is done. And Jesus identifies Judas as the one who would betray him. The unity of the group is broken. The 12 and Jesus now goes down to 11 disciples. Again, as we read in John's Gospel, that Judas, once he had been identified, immediately left the meal and fled out into the night to meet with the chief priests and betray Jesus. And as we read the account of the Passover meal, this was a Passover supper. We see throughout the Gospel accounts references to the traditional Passover meal. At Passover, various symbolic foods were presented at moments during the meal. And amongst those symbolic foods was a plate full of unleavened bread and some salted water representing the tears of the Israelites. And there would be a dipping of the bread into that salted water. And as we read, Jesus replied, the one who dips bread into the bowl with me will betray me. During the Passover meal, four cups of wine are drunk, four cups representing the four types of God's deliverance of the Israelites. And Jesus took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them. And at the end of the Passover meal, songs would be sung, songs of celebration and thanksgiving would always be sung at the end of the Passover to thank God for his mighty deliverance of the Israelites. And we read there at the end of Matthew's description, when they had sung a song... They went out to the Mount of Olives. So here we see all the traditions of the Passover supper. But after eating the Passover meal, Jesus now introduces a new meal of remembrance. After supper, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembering is really, really important. There are a number of huge, important factors that we receive when we remember. The first thing about remembering is it acknowledges a, a past event as an historical fact. It's, this did happen. This is an absolute historical fact. We know that every year early in November, we see firework displays going on across the UK. For some with pets, it's the worst night of the year. But we see firework displays going on. Well, In 1605, this is a copy of the original Thanksgiving Act that was passed by James I. 
And it was an act to appoint the 5th of November as a day of thanksgiving to Almighty God for the joyful deliverance of James I. It's a historical fact. None of, his, none of us here were there. None of us have any grandparents or great-grandparents or great-grandparents that can remember that, remember the gunpowder plot, remember Guy Fawkes. We can't, we, nobody tells us that I was there, I saw it, but we remember it as an historical fact. There is no dispute. This absolutely happened. There was a gunpowder plot. James I did live. Guy Fawkes did live. We know it's a historical fact. And so too, as we remember... We are acknowledging that Jesus' death is an historical fact. No matter what the, the, the various um, modern thinking might be about religion, one thing is absolute. The death of Jesus on the cross is an historical fact. There's considerable evidence for the crucifixion of Jesus. The Roman historian Tacticus, this historian is not a Christian. He is not a Bible scholar. He is not one of the gospel writers as we know. He is a Roman historian aligned to the Roman Empire. And he writes about the time when Nero blamed the Christians for the destruction of Rome by fire in AD 64. And he said these words historically. Nero fastened the guilt of the fire on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty, that's crucifixion, during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of Pontius Pilate. And a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome. This is a Roman historian talking about the crucifixion and then the belief of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Babylonian Talmud, another collection of Jewish rabbinical writings, says on the eve of the Passover, Yeshu was hanged. It's corroborated. This absolutely happened. And there's plenty of archaeological evidence as well. There's plenty of archaeological evidence to suggest there was a place called the Place of the Skull. And you can see there the formation of a skull in the hill, that skull hill just outside of Jerusalem, where it's believed that the crucifixions would take place. And it's now a bus shelter in Jerusalem, but you can go to see it. And that is a place where crucifixions happened. We can see here the Roman dice carved of bone and and ivory. Uh, They cast lots for his clothing. And we can see there rather ominously the, the heel of a crucified man excavated at the time. When we remember, we are acknowledging that Jesus Christ was crucified. This is a fact. There is no dispute about it. And this communion meal, it bridges the gap between AD 1 and 2016. It aligns us, it associates us with an historical event that absolutely happened. Let's remember that it absolutely happened. Remembering also makes us thankful. When we acknowledge something did happen, we can then be thankful that that happened. And on the 7th of November after the First World War in 1919, King George V issued a proclamation. And his proclamation was this, all locomotion should cease so that in perfect stillness the thoughts of everyone may be concentrated on reverent remembrance of the glorious dead. And as we know, since 1919, two minutes of silence have been held on the second Sunday of November, to remember those that have given their lives in the first, second world wars and in recent conflicts and conflicts that are going on now around the world. 
And I don't know about you, but when, when I watch footage of those 19, 20-year-old soldiers running off the beachlanders in, in Normandy and running towards the hail of machine gun fire through minefields, when I see the veterans um, in London with their medals uh, in their wheelchairs, I have a sense of gratitude. We have a sense of gratitude for these men and women that sacrificed and gave their, their lives and, and left everything to, to follow the cause of war. And we do have a sense of gratitude, and, and, and it's good to remember, and it's good to have that sense of gratitude. And we, we are grateful. But when we remember the death of Jesus, we have a gratitude that goes far deeper than that, actually. Because while we can remember our physical freedoms that have been won, there is a far deeper and greater spiritual freedom that he won for us on the cross. It's a, a spiritual freedom that no soldier, that no army could ever win for us and would never win for us. And our physical freedom is temporary, but our spiritual freedom is eternal. It's eternal. This is, this is, this is an eternal celebration of what he's done for us. And when we put our faith in Jesus, when we accept his forgiveness, when we remember, when we take the bread and the grape juice and we remember what he did on that cross, when we receive his free gift of eternal life, when we receive his forgiveness, our response can only be one of gratitude. It can only be one of thankfulness. We're grateful that his body was broken so horrifically so that we could be whole. We're grateful for that. We're grateful that he was rejected, that he was scorned, and that he was rejected even by the Father so that we could be accepted, so that we could be sons and daughters and accepted by him. We're grateful that he was so forsaken so that we could be adopted. And we're grateful that his, his blood was shed, that he was... He was the one who took all of our sin away. He's the one that took every single sin and every single thing we could ever imagine or think of doing wrong. He took it all on the cross. We're grateful to him. And Nicky Gumbel writes, The suffering of Jesus on the cross was far greater than even the horror of crucifixion. He bore our guilt and was God-forsaken on our behalf. A restored relationship with God was such a high priority that he planned it from all eternity. He went through the agony of crucifixion for us in order that our relationship with God could be restored. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember. We're grateful. We, we remember with sometimes sadness, but also with gratitude that he paid the price for us. And remembrance is also really important, you know, because we're prone to forget. We are prone to forgetting. And it's, it's just not good to forget things. In, in 2014, the government, very controversially, removed the paper tax disc legislation. Uh, so no one here has a paper tax disc. Hopefully no one has a paper tax disc holder business. But um, paper tax disks 
were abolished in 2014. Great idea, we're going to use technology, we're going to have cameras all around that spot car number plates and we'll know who people, who's, who's evading tax and we'll find them accordingly. Well, that was introduced much to the criticism of a lot of motoring um, organisations. The AARAC were all just saying, you shouldn't do this, it's not a good idea. Well, since the legislation was introduced, tax evasion has more than doubled. 2015 saw the highest number of people evading tax, over half a million people driving around with untaxed cars. And if I said to you, when is your tax disc due to renewal? Ah. It's, you know, it's a simple reminder. And, and the AA, the RAC said, look, it's a simple thing. It's just a simple reminder of when your tax disc is due. And the consequences for getting that are a fine. And we don't want that. Because we too forget. We can forget. It's just how things are. Multiple passwords. Oh, I can't remember it. Could you give us, please, your, your user code? You give it. No, sorry, that's not it. Can, I give, can you give me a clue? Is it my mum's birthday? Sorry, I can't tell you that. It's just so frustrating, isn't it? You know, because we just, we just forget. I mean, then we write them all. I was in Curry's the other day, and they said that somebody had handed in their computer, and because they, they had to keep a note of all their passwords, they gave to the person at Curry's every single password they've got. Their bank password, their everything. So, oh, there's my passwords. <laughs> the clues in the term password. Anyway, so... But we do, we do forget, don't we? It's just very easy to forget things. And breaking bread is a simple reminder. It's a regular reminder of the truths of what Christ did for us. You see, we have a spiritual enemy who wants us to forget about this. I know that can, that can sound a bit, you know, that's a bit spooky, isn't it? That, that Satan doesn't want us to remember the truth of the gospel. He has, his screw tape letters talks about the, the demons saying the one thing we want them to remember the thing we don't exist. That there's no, there's, no, there's no plan. There is a plan. There's a plan to steal and kill and destroy our freedom and our victory. There's a plan to steal and kill and destroy us from walking in the truth every day of, of his forgiveness. And, and the enemy's very good at reminding us of things we've done wrong. Very good at reminding us of past sins and things that we're ashamed of and things that would cause us to feel guilty and I can't undo that and it's, it's difficult and I, what can I do about this? Very good at reminding and accusing and condemning and pushing down and who are you to do? What are you? You, know, you thought that you did this. Very good at that. Comes to steal and to kill and destroy. He's the accuser. Hates humans, not just Christians. Hates humans and accuses. And we can forget that we've been forgiven. We can forget that we've been set free. We can forget that He's paid the price. For our sin and now to the cross, our sinful nature. We mustn't ever forget the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us on the cross. This meal we take today, it's a weapon against the accusations of the enemy. It's a weapon against fear and condemnation. It's a weapon against hopelessness and despair. It's a weapon against unforgiveness. You know, I don't know about you, I hate remembering things I've done, but you can also hate remembering things that, and things that people have done to you. Things that people have said to you, or done to you, or not done. 
We can remember those things and they can bring up bitterness and unforgiveness. But when we remember the cross, when we remember the price that he paid, and we remember his sacrifice for our sins, we can be, do nothing but respond but in forgiveness of others as well. The meal reminds us to take it in a heart of forgiveness. And even Paul, Paul warns about this. Make sure that you've forgiven your brother and your sister before you take this meal. It's very important. Yeah, God made us alive with Christ. It's a wonderful scripture in Colossians. He forgave us all of our sins. Having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them over the cross, by the cross. We must remember, we, don't forget what Jesus won for you. Don't forget what he's won for you. When, when you're tempted to look back, look back beyond yourself to the cross. Look back beyond to the, the cross and the price that he paid, that you are forgiven, that you are cleansed, that you are washed, that you are free, and that you have an eternity with him to look forward to. That's what we remember. That's why this meal is such a wonderful celebration of what he won for us. We mustn't forget the tax disc, of course. But more importantly, we mustn't forget that he's paid the ultimate price, that we can approach his throne of grace with boldness and confidence. Not with timidity, but with boldness and confidence, because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's why it's good news. And this meal, as Jesus said, represents the new covenant. This is the new covenant. This is not the old covenant of laws and regulations. This is the new covenant. We cannot achieve righteousness. We receive righteousness. We receive his righteousness. As as we remember and we take this meal, we receive his righteousness. And it's this meal of remembrance that millions of people around the world celebrate I think every day. I think never a moment when somebody isn't remembering the body and the blood of Jesus. And yes, we might remember November the 5th once a year, but Jesus said, remember this all the time. All the time people are remembering around the world the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. So as we enter this Easter season, as we enter just three weeks away, as we, as we remember, and we will be remembering more, We remember it's a fact. There's no dispute. We remember that it is a historical fact, and we acknowledge that. We remember with gratitude that he suffered in our place. We are grateful to him. We are thankful for what he's done for us. We say, Lord, we are so grateful to you. As we take the the meal today, Lord, it's with gratitude that we do this. And finally, Jesus sat in the upper room with his disciples, with the aroma of this pure nard upon him. 2 Corinthians says that we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. That we are the pleasing aroma of Christ. That there was a physical aroma on Jesus. There is a spiritual aroma on you and I, if we're Christians, if we believe. There is an aroma on us. And to some, they won't like that. But for many who are being saved, it is an aroma that brings life. And there are many people in this place. There are many people in this place. This church is an aroma 
The church, the body of people, not the building, the body of people, it's an aroma. As we move to Hazelmere, and the aroma with all of the other churches in Wickham, and the aroma of Christ. As you drive by church and you see something, it's the aroma of Christ. We are the aroma of Christ. And, and we are to look for those opportunities to be the aroma of Christ for those that don't know this good news. For those that don't know the truth of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And we can pray to God for those opportunities. Lord, I am the aroma of Christ. Show me how to bring others to you and to just to introduce others to you as well. So as we draw to a close, I'd like us to... If the band would come up, that would be great. I'd like us to do just this now. I'd like us to together remember... But I'm aware that um, sometimes there are things in the way that can stop us from really believing this truth. And we need to just come before the Lord and say, Lord, help me to believe. Lord, help me to receive. Lord, help me to be thankful and grateful for all you've done for me. Lord, help me to walk in the truth of this gospel every day. So I'm just going to pray now. I'm going to pray for us all as we come to take this meal. And specifically, if you've been struggling with remembering things that have not been good, and you know you've been struggling with past memories that are just not, not good, I just want you to bring that now before him. And if you'd like to just, if you could close your eyes, that would be great. I believe for, for us all here today, actually, Jesus wants to remind us of what he's done. There's a wonderful scripture that says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world who takes away your sin who cleanses you who declares you righteous who declares you free thank you Jesus Lord Jesus we thank you so much that you look upon your church as a free people cleansed, forgiven made whole and made right with the Father because of your sacrifice because you paid the price for our freedom and Lord Jesus I pray for us all here this morning that you would help us to remember not our failings not our struggles not our mistakes or our errors But help us to remember, Jesus, the cross, your forgiveness, your cleansing. And Lord, we also pray that you would help us to forgive others, just as you've forgiven us. Help us to let go of all bitterness, all anger, any unforgiveness in our hearts. 
we bring that before you now, Lord Jesus. We're sorry and we forgive. Thank you, Jesus, for the wonderful sacrifice that we're remembering this morning.